All right, ladies, welcome. So we get together and uh, we learn Tehillim on Tuesdays. We try to do a chapter a week. We do these chapters uh, in the memory of the Tzadik at Lili Bat Virginia. This is Lili Medde Shalom. It's a project that was spearheaded by her son, Dr. Rafi, and he commissioned me to teach the Tehillim as best as we can <coughs> and have his mother in mind. <coughs> so we continue. Today, if you have books in front of you, we're up to chapter 74. It's Ayin Dalit. It's uh, timely, being that we're in the uh, days of Bin Amitzarim. So those are the days where we commemorate the destruction of the temples, plural. So this chapter actually is talking about that, the destruction of the Batim Mikdash. Well, obviously David wasn't around when the temples were destroyed. Actually, he wasn't even around when the temples were built. The temples were not built until his son's time, Shilomor. But we also understand that David had Ruach HaKodesh. He had uh, divine inspiration. So he saw not only what was happening, but what was going to happen. <clears throat> this chapter actually is written by a fellow called Asaf. As you see, Maskil Asaf. The Maskil is the tune, like the Makam, I would say. But it's written by Asaf. Uh, there's big discussions who this Asaf was. We'll go into that whole Mahloke. Uh, Some say he was a Devi. <clears throat> and he served in the Mishkan in the times of David, and it was called Asaf. He was from the family of Korah. And uh, Ibn Ezra brings uh, other shittot in his introduction to Tehillim, and he says that uh, others say <coughs> that this Asaf actually was after David. He was a Levi that served at the time of the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. So... The jury is still out who Asaf is, but that's neither here or there. What does it say in the chapter? That's what I want to know. So the chapter begins, Lama Elohim, or Lama Elohim, Zanahta Lanetzah. Why have you forsaken us, which seems forever? <clears throat> this is talking about on something that lasts for seemingly a long time, so they say, you know, it seems like forever. So the Pasuk is saying, Why did you abandon us? This is again referring to after the destruction of the temple. We know the word apecha means a nose. Uh, and yashan means smoke. If you know in the vernacular, when somebody gets angry, I think they say smoke's coming out of his ears. I don't know why they say that exactly. I never saw smoke come out of anybody's ears, but... For that matter, I never saw smoke come out of anybody's nose. And over here, it's giving a mashal, and it's saying, until when, God, are you going to be so furious that that the smoke will be coming out of your nose? God doesn't have a nose. That's obvious. But we use sometimes terminologies that we put on God just so we can have an understanding of what we're talking about. But it's, uh, just like we would say in Kiryat Shema every day, ladies, you say, Behara Af Hashem. Af Hashem is the... The nose of Hashem. When a person gets angry, his nose turns red. 
<coughs> so maybe you've seen that before. So now it's saying, not only is no stirmer, but until when are you going to be so angry that smoke's coming out of uh, your nose? But that's a masha. Uh, and who's God getting angry at? The sheep. That's the Jewish people that, uh, that you're supposed to lead. You left us without any protection. And you're getting angry at us, what seems uh, forever, and as a result of the anger, God forbid all the troubles uh, come. So this is again referring to the time of the exile, when the Jewish people uh, were sent into uh, exile, whether it's the first one or probably the second one, because that's the longest one. Zechor adatecha, remember your, your, your people. Kanita, Kanita literally is, you bought them, Kedem. Now when did God buy us? It seems God purchased the Jewish people. So the question is, some will say that this is referring to when we were in Mitzrayim. And when we left Mitzrayim, we say every day in the Az Yashir, Amzu Kanita. Amzu Kanita, the nation that you acquired. That God chose us when we came out of Mitzrayim. So we're, we're reminding God, Zechor Adatecha, remember your people, Kanita Kedem, that you purchased, <coughs> chose Kedem, meaning prior, earlier. Ga'alta Shevet Nahalatecha. You redeemed the tribe. The Jewish people are called the tribe of God. Mepharshim asked the obvious question. We're not the tribe of God, we're the tribes of God. There's 12 tribes. So why does the Pasuk say Shevet? It should say Ga'alta Shevatim. Uh, ladies, we come to explain the text over here, so <clears throat> that's a big question that stands out. Shevet. So the Mepharshim explained that in Egypt there was not tribes yet. Tribes don't begin until we get into Eretz Israel and every tribe lives in a different neighborhood. Eretz Israel was divided. <clears throat> when the Jewish people were in Egypt, we all lived in the same uh, city. What city did we live in? Goshen. And therefore, there was no separation. So we're saying, God, you acquired us as a nation when we were still Shevet, when we were still just considered one nation living in Goshen. There was a rabbi called Rabbi Amenuel Haireki, and he said a beautiful derashah, Ga'alta Shevet Nahalatecha. You redeemed your Shevet, your tribe, Nahalatecha, that became your Nahala, your bequeathment. What's the Rashet Tevot? Gimal Shinun. Rashet Tevot, Goshen. Very good. So the Zerim is over here, that when the Jewish people were still living in Goshen, we were considered one shepherd. Had Sion Zeh, and then you came to Mount Zion, which is the, the Temple Mount. You brought us to Had Sion, like we say, Nehalta Beozecha in Neve Kochecha. You brought us to the Neve, to the construct, to the building of your, your holy building. And when we got there, Shakantabo, you rest your Shekhinave. <clears throat> and therefore, we're telling God, come back and redeem us and bring us back to the temple, to Tzion. Harima fe'amecha. This is strong language. Fe'amecha literally means a person's feet. Fe'amim. Fe'amim is the, the legs or the feet of a person, actually. And we're telling God, Harima fe'amecha, lift your, your feet. As she says, Hagbeya pe'imot. Why? Le mashu'ot, to create catastrophe. Mashu'ot comes from the word shu'ah, 
we know what the Shoah is. The Shoah is the great catastrophe of the Holocaust. But Mashuot means lift your feet, God, to create a catastrophe. A catastrophe to who? Catastrophe, call Hera Oyeba Kodesh. To all those bad people that did bad things in the Kodesh. Which means what? The enemies that came into the, to the holy and they desecrated it. Like we saw, we'll see in a minute, what Titos and all these other gangsters did when they came into the Beit HaMikdash. So we're telling God as if to say, God, we need to tell him, get up, get up and do something. So, it's like sometimes you see Shalom, somebody lazy. You say, lift your feet up and get out of bed and go, go, go do something. So we, the frustration of the, of the psalmist here is saying to God, God, lift your, your legs up and create a catastrophe. A catastrophe against who? To all those that have committed uh, 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 travesties in the Kodesh, in the Holy of Holies. And that's referring to the Romans and the Greeks. And there's a whole list of them. And now it says a little of the history, what they did. Now, Sha'agu, when they came into the temple, Sha'agu, Sha'agu means they, they roared. You know, the Guim, uh, not only, whenever there's a war, the soldiers, when they come into the town, or, or they make a loud, loud sound. Sha'agu suradecha, your enemies, bekerev mo'adecha. Now, mo'adecha, <coughs> don't make a mistake to think, uh, well, I'm going to tell you this straight. What is mo'ed? Uh, don't say holiday. I know you, that's why I said, don't say, don't make a mistake. You made a mistake. Mo'ed, I know we call it holiday. What's the real word, Mo'ed? Mo'ed, the middle letters, comes from the word va'ad. What is a va'ad? A place of meeting, where people meet. It's called bet va'ad. The bet mikdash is called Mo'ed. Why? Because that's where God meets the Jewish people. We come to, and that's why the holidays are called Mo'ed. Why is it called Mo'ed? Because we used to go to Yerushalayim and we used to meet God in Jerusalem. So therefore, it's a place of Mo'ed. It doesn't mean holiday. It means a place of meeting. So therefore, Sha'agu the enemies were screaming, or were roaring is a better word. Bekerev Mo'adecha. Bekerev Mo'adecha means in the midst of the place of your Mo'ed. In the place where you meet us. Samu ototam otot. And they used what's called otot. What does that mean? Uh, they went to their, uh, to their magicians and their soothsayers that tell the future. And they asked them, are we going to be successful? So they went to the Abu Dazara. Goim are known to do this. I think they say that even when the Egyptians... Uh, in our time, uh, when they went in the uh, Yom Kippur War, I think it says Anwar Sadat, I'm not going to say Allah was Shalom, but Anwar Sadat, when he went to uh, war against the Jews on Yom Kippur, why did he pick Yom Kippur? He asked the uh, crystal ball people in Egypt, they said, oh, that's a good day to get them. And well, they were wrong, obviously, because... We were able to push them back. But that was an old, old thing. The Goim, whenever they go out to war against the Jewish people, they ask the soothsayers, what's the best day? And that's what they did in the times of uh, the Romans as well. Samu ototam otot. They trusted the signals that they received from the uh, Avodah Zarah. And not only that, 
But it says, uh, I'll tell you the story that the Gemara says. I have a copy of it over here. It's not such a good story, but it's good for you to know it for your repertoire of, uh, of things that happened at the time of the Beit HaMikdash. What I'm quoting you now comes from the Gemara Gitin on page 56. Titos, Titus, Harasha. Uh, he was a uh, blasphemous. He was the one that destroyed the temple, Titus. And when he came into the Beit HaMikdash, he was an arrogant guy, and he was cursing, you know, upstairs. Ma'asa. What did he do? Everybody's over 18 over here, right? So it says, Tafaz Zona. He took a Zona, a harlot, and and he took her into the Holy of Holies. Do you believe it? And he opened up a Sefer Torah on the floor of the Kodesh Kodeshim. And he committed a Avera. Do you believe that? In the Holy of Holies. Uh, such an immoral and immodest act. <coughs> At least we do it in the hall. We don't do it in the shul. We're separated in the shul. How does that happen? Don't ask. Sayif, <laughs> and then he took the uh, he took the Sayif. Sayif is a sword. The parochet was the curtain. So the curtain is what separates uh, the Kodesh from the Kodesh Kodeshim. And I don't know what his intention was. I guess just to vandalize. So he took the uh, the parochet. What I, what I think his intention was is as follows. The parochet uh, covers uh, the Aaron. Covers the Aaron. Or, 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 or covers the Shekhinah, let's say. So he figured that if he's going to hit the parochet, that's like lancing God himself. So he thought he could kill God by lancing the parochet, figuring that God is behind the parochet. That's what it was. So what should have happened? Nothing. He should have just taken his sword, ripped the parochet, and nothing should have happened because he can't kill God. But it says, uh, miracle happened. And blood started to come out of the parochet. started to bleed. And you can imagine how excited Titos was because he thought that he killed God. He thought that he killed himself. Now, that's the way, a nice way of the Gemara saying, God doesn't even want to say those words. So he says, he thought he killed himself, but himself is a euphemism for what he really thought. And that's what it says, They entered Kerev Mo'adecha. They entered the inner sanctum where God meets with us, which is the Holy of Holies. And Sha'agu, and they started to roar. What was the roaring and cheering? We did it. Now, of course, God makes these uh, uh, miracles in order to ultimately destroy the Goyim. This, this is a miscommunication that he's giving to Titos. And uh, the Pasuk says over here that they took that as, you know, as, a, as a sign. Now, the next Pasuk says another miracle that happened at the time of the destruction. Yivada kimevi Lema'ala. <clears throat> Bisvoch etz 
kardumot. Literally, this means over here is that when Titus, Titus, one time I was in Rome. I'll tell you a story if you have a minute. One time I was in Rome and uh, with my wife, and I had a tour guide giving us a tour of uh, the different things over there. So they brought me, uh, they brought us to the arch, the arch of Titus. And over there you see, uh, over the arch, uh, the, uh, the Jews actually in shackles, that's the picture on the arch. And they're taking the vessels from Jerusalem and they're bringing it to Rome. It's a depiction of when Titus destroyed the second temple and brought the Jews as slaves from Jerusalem to Rome. And you see the Jews as slaves in these shackles, bringing the holy vessel, the big picture of the menorah, it's etched in the stone. And this tall guy is a lady, young girl, and she's explaining exactly uh, what it is. And as uh, I'm standing there, she's saying it, I'm crying and I'm crying and I'm crying. And she, she can't understand, she says, oh, what, what are you crying? I never gave a, a, a tour of him. Somebody's, it just means so I'm crying like a baby. So I said, you don't understand. You don't know how, this, how significant this is to us. We cry every day for this event. This event over here is, uh, is the most tragic event in our history. They destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. They brought us into exile. They stole our vessel. This is God's house. This picture over here is not historical. This is to us. We take it very, very personal. Uh, you know, this is something that's... Uh, it's okay, you know, take a breath. I said, I have good news for you. We were going from Rome, and we were going to Israel from Rome. I said, but tomorrow we're going to be at the Kotel Ma'aravi. We're going to be at that spot. That's the holiest place in the world for us over there. And the good news is that our rabbis tell us that they were never able to destroy the whole thing. There was one wall that was impenetrable, which is indication that from that one wall, Boreonam is going to... So we have a... Uh, Titos, where's Titos? Titos is gone. Titos is not around anymore. Titos is uh, in the history books. But the Jewish people were still able to survive uh, 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 this, this event. And I was reminded of a story of the great Rav Kahaneman, Rosh Hashivat Panovich. When he came to Rome for the first time, he was collecting money for the yeshiva. And it was the... It was a blustery night. It was a rainy night in Rome. And he got funny to the doctor that he was staying by, a Jewish doctor. And he asked the doctor, could you take me to see the Arch of Titus? Now, Rav Kahneman was a survivor from the Holocaust. He was lived after the Holocaust, after the, dec- the decimation of the, you know, the destruction of European Jewry. And he was rebuilding Torah in Eretz uh, in, uh, Yisrael, in against all odds. Nobody thought he'd be able to do it. <clears throat> and uh, when he got... So the doctor told me, you need to go now to see the Arch of Titus. It's a tourist attraction. We'll go see it tomorrow. He said, no, no, no. We got to go now. You got to take me now. In the middle of the night, they go with the umbrellas, and they bring them. And Rav Kahneman, Hashuv Rabbi, stands in front of the Arch of Titus, and uh, he takes his umbrella, and he starts waving. He says, Titus, Titus, we're still here. And he starts yelling at them. He says, you couldn't get us. You couldn't get us. He says, you're in the history books. You're a relic. Yeah, what are you known for? For, 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 for your arch? We're still here. We're going to build Torah. Whatever you try to do. And every generation, they try to destroy us. 
Then he tells the doctors, okay, now we can go home. I just had to, <laughs> had to vent. <laughs> he wanted to tell Titos. He says, I'm still here. Titos, Titos. So, but you see how bad these people were. They thought that they killed God. They thought that they, that you're never going to hear about the Jewish people anymore. And now, I, irony has it that Jews are visiting the Arch of Titos. You know? So we're the ones that are, and they're telling the Jews about who Titos was, how he destroyed the Jewish people. I said, oh, I'm Jewish. He didn't destroy nobody. I'm here. He no, I'm here. You're, you're Goyam, maybe. I'm Jewish. He didn't destroy anybody. We're still, we're still here. So anyway, so it says, uh, Another thing happened over here. I'm reading Pasuk He. When they were breaking the walls of Jerusalem, which actually happened on Shabbat Sabbath Tammuz, it became clear to them, at least at that point over there, that they were actually, um, they were fighting God himself. They knew that God was defending, at least in the beginning, the Jewish people. How did they know? So the Gemara says something, uh, something amazing. This is in the time of Nebuzar Adan, when Nebuzar Adan came to destroy uh, Jerusalem. They call him Rav Tabahim. This is the time of the first destruction. We go back and forth between the first destruction and the second. It's all one long, terrible story. So now the Gemara is talking about, not Titos, but it's talking about when Nebuzar Adan, he was the general of Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the first temple. So when Nebuzar Adan came to Jerusalem, it says, Ta'an masa shetlat me'a kudnayata narga defarzela. He needed iron hammers in order to Break the wall. <clears throat> the wall of Jerusalem was strong like iron, so you need iron to break iron. So the Gemara says they delivered to him 300 mules filled with iron hammers in order to break those. So thousands of iron hammers, they give it out to all the soldiers and they're just going to pound the wall. The Shalit Beparzela, iron hammers that can break iron. Shadadla, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzar Adan. So he sent it to the Buzar Adan to break the gates. Now, hold on to your seats. So the Pasuk says that all the hammers got swallowed into the wall. As they would hit the wall, the wall would, would, would just swallow the hammer. So they never saw such a thing before. They knew that they were, they were fighting a, a, a superpower. All their, all their hammers got swallowed up. So the Gemara then comes along and says, it didn't help. And they learned that from the next Pasuk, by the way. The next Pasuk says, The next Pasuk. The next Pasuk says that um, uh, the gates and all their uh, their uh, their uh, axes or hammers of the enemies just got got destroyed. But then it says, So the Vuzaradan said, "But we can't beat these uh, Jews. We lost all our weapons." So they wanted to make a U-turn, and all of a sudden uh, he got a message. Some say it was a heavenly voice came out and said, 
you have one more hammer left. Go to that wall over there. And sure enough, they went to the one area and they used that one hammer and the wall fell down and the rest was, uh, was history. So therefore, they knew that this was from God. They knew that all the other hammers got swallowed up and in the last one, they were able to... Uh, uh, they were able to... And the Gemara says that when he, when he hit the wall the last time, he didn't hit it with the axe side. He hit it with the wood side. That means it shows you that it was God that destroyed the temple. Because the, when they were using the, 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 the metal side, which is the, the violent side of the axe, nothing happened. And then when they turned the axe around and they just put the wood against it, and the Gemara says this, that the Beit HaMikdash was like a deck of cards. It looked like the Guim destroyed it, but it didn't destroy it. It was destroyed already in heaven. So God made it as if they destroyed it, but the actual that temple moved up in heaven and they didn't touch the temple. It says, it's like, uh, they, the Gemara uses the language, the Guim, they grinded ground flour. If flour is grinded already, you can't grind it again, it's, it's ground already. So the Gemara says, the Beit HaMikdash was like grind fl- ground flour. They couldn't grind it again. It looked like it was a temple, but it was destroyed already. <clears throat> so it was just, in the video, it looks like they destroyed it. But al uh, lifted it up. and So the same thing over here. They, they saw from the way the, uh, uh, the war was going, they knew that this was something that was happening from above. Let's read Rashi now, if you have Rashi in front of you. The enemy knew when they were hitting the gates of the Mikdash, they understood that. It's like they were hitting Lemala up in the heavens. And they saw that the Etz uh, actually the, the wood he's saying swallowed the, uh, the metal of the, of the axe. One gate in Jerusalem swallowed all the, the axes. Fine, that's the way they explain it. And now it says, in the next Pasuk, Pasuk Zayin, Shalhu ba'esh mektashecha. Now that's, uh, they sent fire in the Beit HaMikdash. And they raised, raised means they, they knocked down the, uh, the uh, Mishkan. The Mishkan is the, the resting place of God's holy name. And by the way, I'll tell you something that should be pointed out. The Hakamim say, not only did they destroy the temple, but they started to destroy the synagogues, which is an old trick or old uh, ploy or tactic that the Green do before they destroy the people. I have to remind you that this was done again in history on November 9th, 1937, 1938, Kristallnacht. And that night, they don't talk about it so much. Everybody talks about the broken glass, which is a misrepresentation of that night. Everybody thinks, okay, so they broke some glass. Glass is not so bad, so some storefronts in Berlin, not that. They burnt 1,000 synagogues on that night. 1,000 synagogues. That was the first <clears throat> attack 
against the Jewish people. They didn't come after the Jewish people. They went after the soul of the Jewish people. Once they burnt a thousand synagogues, that means they burnt thousands of Sefer Torah, they burnt thousands of books in the Jewish library, <coughs> and the, the firemen were just standing in front of laughing. The German firemen were laughing when they were calling the firemen. They said, we have orders that we cannot put out any of the fires of the Batek in the And imagine waking up the next morning. There wasn't a synagogue throughout Germany that was not, was not, was not burned. And that's, <coughs> that was done thousands of years before. When it says, Shilhuba Ish Mikdashecha, that they, 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 they burnt the Batek in the And uh, so obviously, their fight is against God. It's not only against the Jews. They're fighting against uh, the God of the Jews as well. Therefore, they burnt his house first, his homes first. Uh, and then they come along to the, uh, to the Jewish people uh, as well. Amru b'dibam ninam yahat. They said in their heart, ninam is their, is their kings or their successors to become kings. Sarfu kol el ba'aris. Now, Throughout our history, it says Sarfu, they burnt Kol Mu'ade'il, all the meeting places of God. Now, if you look at the history, you'll see even from the times of uh, Pilishtim, uh, in the times of Pilishtim, they fought in the times of Eliyah Kohen, and they took the Aron. Remember, anybody ever go to Shiloh? Today you can go in Israel, you can go to Shiloh. They show you where the Mishkan was. Mishkan was there for hundreds of years, over 300 years. Shiloh, that's where Hannah prayed, and she had a Shemuel. But anyway, the Pilishtim came, and they destroyed Shiloh, and they stole the Aron. That was in that time. And then you have the Vuzar Adan, and then you have Nebuchadnezzar, Titos. So anytime we had a holy place, the Guim came along and, and, uh, and destroyed it. And therefore we say, Sarfu et kol mikdeshe'el. Kol means not only the Batei Mikdash, Kol, Mishkan Shiloh, Batei any place that was considered, even the Jewish cemetery, which bogs the mind, if the intent of the Goy is to kill the Jews, okay, these Jews are dead already, what do you want from them? <clears throat> I, mean, I, I can understand that there's anti-Semitism, that a, a Goy wants to kill a live Jew, but you can't kill the guy twice, the, the hatred is so... Strong that they even come and defile the cemeteries. Which, which, what, what are you getting by that? You, you can't kill them twice. It shows they, they can't even tolerate that there's a dead Jew in the world, let alone alive. There's all the, these holy places. And then we come to us. And so what happened to us? We don't have uh, any signs. We didn't see any signs. Which means... Uh, uh, we have, no, we have no signs when this is going to end. Today. Anybody know when it's going to end the exile? We have no, we have no idea. So, let's ask the prophet. The Navi that says, in old Navi. <laughs> There's no more prophets. And not only that, but even in the holy books. For example, in the book of Daniel, it tells you when Mashiach is going to come. He, he writes it. But we don't understand how to understand those pesukim. We don't understand how to interpret. So that we have no clues. Although we do have clear indication that 
we're in the generation of the Mashiach. That I explained on Shabbat already, that at the end of Masichet Sota, it already tells us telltale signs that will happen right before Mashiach comes. And just go look what it says over there. The signs are all there. It's, that's not a question. Uh, I'm not going to go through the signs. I've done it many times. But, for example, inflation is one of the signs. Well, prices were never as expensive. Uh, just look at the gas prices. I don't, I don't have gas. My car uses electric. But for those of you that use gas, you could probably see it's maybe close to $5 a gallon. So you see, it was never like that. Things are going to be very, very, very pricey. Yokir uh, Amir, it says. And, and other things as well. But the point is, we still don't know when it's going to end. Now forget about the Beit HaMikdash, because I know some of you are saying to yourself, oh, listen, we have shoes, we're comfortable, you know, Beit HaMikdash doesn't bother me if we have it, if we don't have it. Most of us are not Kohanim anyway, so. But you need the Beit HaMikdash, because with the Beit HaMikdash, all the troubles go away. We can all agree that we don't like troubles, we don't like sickness, we don't like all the, 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 the problems that Galut brings with it, all the misfortune. So you have to look at it like that, that if the temple gets rebuilt, that goes away. So then, then, then you do want a, a Beit HaMikdash. Although we might not appreciate the service that goes on in the Beit HaMikdash, but you'll know the value of having it pushes away a lot of the troubles that... There's no more Tehillim list. Let's put it in English, simple English. There's no more Tehillim list. There's no more praying for people. Everything is... All those things dissipate. So for that alone... But... Velo itanu yodeya adma. We don't know when. That she says... Adma ad matai zu. We don't know, you know, how long we're going to be uh, in this uh, in this exile. And then the uh, pasuk says that ad um, matai until when are you going to give the uh, enemy to curse us? Yaharef Sa'ar, Sa'ar is the enemy. Sa'ar ve'oyev. Yaharef is the curse. Yin'atz oyev shimcha. Until when are you going to let the enemy curse your name? So this is a prayer that we use always. Even if we're not worthy, but do it for your sake, God. Hilul Hashem. Even if we're unworthy of redemption, but the desecration of your name, so do it for your name's sake. Like we say every day in the Amidah. And God is going to bring the Redeemer to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. But we might not deserve it. So then we say, Even if it's not for our sake, He's going to bring it for His sake. For what sake? His name. Because His name is being desecrated throughout the world. And therefore, for the Hilul Hashem element of it, Borealam says, even though my children might have ran out of zikhuyot, but I'm doing it in order that my holy name does not become desecrated anymore by the Goyim. Why do you return your hand and your right? Well, Biminecha is the right hand, so Yadecha must be the left hand. What does it mean return? When you see uh, somebody uh, that doesn't want to fight, he puts his hands behind his back. So when he puts his hands behind his back, that's a sign of surrendering. So David is saying, Why do you retrieve, or you retreat, and you put your hands 
Kabyachal, he doesn't have hands. But as if to say, you're not fighting the Goyim, why do you put your hands behind your back? Your right hand, that's mercy, should defend B'nai Israel, and your left hand, which is judgment, should attack the Goyim. But instead, what do you do? Take your hands from your hek, it's like your pocket. Take your hands out of your pocket, God, and, and fight. That's what we're telling. And we know that our God has showed us that He could do it. If you're going to tell me, ah, maybe God's not capable. What are you talking? God was our God, and He showed His strength from, from early on. He has done uh, miracles and salvations. He has performed salvations. When? Now we go back to the famous stories. You split the sea. Forarta means you turned it into uh, lanes. Not splitting like we said one day. It's Forarta means you divided it into 12 lanes and each tribe had his own you busted the heads of the, the Taninim, the Taninim of the Egyptians. And where did you bust their heads? Now, how does water break somebody's head? Water drowns. If you remember what happened, the Midrash says that when the waves came on the Egyptians, the waves turned into ice. So it, it banged their heads. Like it says, Kafi'ute humot. Kafe'u is, the kfot is to become ice. So therefore the Pasuk is saying, you broke the heads of the Egyptians, alamayim, on the water. That's referring to the Mitzrayim over there. Again, this is referring to the different nations that a Kadosh Baruch Hu came along and... Uh, and, and, and destroyed them. It's, it's, it's referring to also when we came into Eretz Yisrael. You split Ma'yan Banachal. That's referring to number one. You remember when we came into the Midbar, we had no water. So God brought us a rock. And He split the rock, and from the rock came. Water. You split for us a mayan, a wellspring. And you also split the Nahal when we came into the Jordan River before we came into Eretz Yisrael on the 10th of Nisan. That was 40 years later from when we left Egypt. There was another splitting of the sea. Not Yamsuf, the splitting of the Jordan. The Jordan, it split, it retrieved. The water started to recede and we were able to cross the Jordan and go straight into Eretz Yisrael. It was no less a miracle than Kiryat Yamsuf. It happened again. So we say, you did all these miracles. You dried up the strong rivers. As she says, Yarden. Yarden, look at that she. Etan, you dried up the Yarden. And all these, all these miracles over here. So we're saying, God Almighty, the one that was able to do all these miracles for us in Egypt, and all the miracles for us in the world. You can't, uh, you can't continue to do these miracles for us. So it's not that you're not capable. You're quite capable of going on. So therefore the prayer is, do it. Not only that, lecha yom af lecha layla. To God is the day, God creates the day, and God also creates the night. And you also prepared the light and the sun. 
Now, what is this? Uh, what, what are we mentioning now? God created the day and the night. So now she says, Yom. Yom is referring to redemption. You were there for us during the good times. Yom. And you're even with us in the dark times. It's not saying that God created the day and the night. Here it's saying, you were with us in the good times, and God is also with us in the better. And that explains. Go back. Remember I told you when Titus came in, and he, he slashed the parochet, and it said blood started coming out? He misread it. That was God showing, I feel the pain of the Jewish people on this day. It's as if they're, they're killing me. That was a signal to the Jewish people. We understood what that signal was. When we heard about the blood coming out of the parochet, we understood that God is with us, that He's not abandoning us. If, if, if the Father's angry, He'll abandon. But the fact that God is bleeding on that day, that shows He feels the pain as if they're doing it to Him. Titus understood it in the wrong way. He understood that's what we killed. And that's what we're saying. God, you are with us in the times of the Geulot. And you were with us at the times of the destruction. We know that you were there from all the, from all the uh, 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 hidden things that you did for us. She says, <clears throat> And now look at the next part of the passage, which is very important. What does this mean? You prepared Maor, light. Vashemesh or Vashemesh. And the sun, the light of the sun. What do we mention? The light of the sun. So that she says over here, very important interpretation. Oh, this is not referring to over here the physical sun. That even though you sent us into Galut, and even though you sent us into the exiles, but you prepared for us Maor Vashamish. So I'll explain to you what this is referring to. As a very, very important yesod. There's always a silver lining in, uh, in the exile. The silver lining is the first exile that the Jews went to. Where did they go? To Babylonia. It's a terrible thing. What ended up happening in Babylonia? There was a Renaissance period of Torah, and before you know it, uh, they were, rabbis of Babylonia were able to establish the Talmud Babli, the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud happened during an exile outside of Eretz Israel. So we're saying to God that even at the time of the exile, you always prepared for us Torah. You always prepared for us that there'll be, there'll be learning. That every body Olam will never put us in an exile where Torah will be forgotten. Hashem will always prepare the Torah no matter what the green will do, they can never get rid of the Torah. Even though the Germans in, 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 in Germany, throughout Europe, they destroyed all the yeshivas. All the yeshivas they destroyed. Nobody thought that the Torah would ever survive. So what happened? They took all those yeshivas that they destroyed and they replanted them in America. The Mir yeshiva is named after Mir. Mir is in Poland. That yeshiva. Then we put it in Telzi yeshiva. They moved it. Panovich. All these are names... Slabatka, all these are names of European yeshivas that were the Velazhin. These are all 
old, old yeshivas in the, in the old country, and they came along and they replanted them in America and Eretz Israel, to, 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 to the shock of everybody. Nobody thought, but the Pasuk says that even though you're going to be put us in the dark nights, you always will prepare for us, God will never abandon the people from Torah. The Torah will always travel with the Jewish people. I'm going to say something from Hadush. There's a famous story, you probably heard it, uh, of, the, uh, of the four captives. There were four rabbis that were traveling on, on a boat, and uh, the pirates came. It's about a thousand years ago, and they pirated the boat. And uh, they knew that these four rabbis can get, a, can get, they can get a lot of money for them because they were great rabbis, and the Jews will pay a lot of money. Sure enough, one of them they brought to uh, Tunisia, one of them they brought to Egypt, one of them they brought to Spain, and those three communities, Egypt also, they paid a lot of money to ransom the rabbis. Turns out, this was God's way of bringing four rabbis to four different Jewish communities around the world, and turns out that these rabbis ended up building these Jewish communities, and Torah ended up flourishing in the four places. It's an old story, the four captives. How Borei Olam strategically will make sure that no community will be devoid of Torah. If you would, if you would have taken bets on our illustrious community, the Syrian community here in Brooklyn and Deal, if you would have taken a bet 70 years ago, what's going to be with the Torah in the Syrian community? It would have been a fair bet to say, well, that's not our item. You know, our mothers make good recipes. We have good pismonim. We visit. But more than that, when it comes to Torah, that's not our item. Maybe in the old country, in Alab, in the old country we had it, but you know, it's not our, if you went to Sharesion 50s, when I was growing up, uh, you, there was not a library. Could you imagine a shul without a library? There was a library. It was on the fourth floor, Hamat Lub's library. It was burnt. There was a fire in Abadi's library. And nobody thought to rebuild the library because what did you need a library for anyway? So you went upstairs, you saw the Hurban of the Hamat Lub's library. And you saw all the old books. As kids, we would go up there and open the books and see what the old book looks like. And you open the book and the, the, the paper would, 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 would crumble in our hands. And nobody said anything. They said, oh, these are the books. You want a book? Go try to find it in the Rabbi Abadi's library. Downstairs in the main shul, you had a Sansina Humash. Nobody knows how to read that English. It's King James, King George English. Even the, you have to be a, go to Harvard to understand what that English was. Sansina Humash and a simple uh, Sidur. You want a book? There were no books. There were no books. There was a Te'ilim, maybe. Te'ilim, of course. And Chokli Israel, which is an easy book. There was no Gemara. There was no Mishnah. There was no nothing. You couldn't find books. And nobody complained. It's not like there was, this was somebody screaming, Hey, we need, nobody thought to have books. Now, go look 50 years later. <laughs> those shoes full of books. Not, this synagogue here, Lawrence Avenue. This synagogue over here. I, I must say, when our great rabbi, Akam Baruch, was here, he was the book. Okay, we had the rabbi. The shul didn't look like this. There was a small midrash where this hallway is. There was a small little midrash, a tiny midrash. And that was considered the library of the shul. What was in that library? A few books. A few books. Not even a, not even a full set of the Talmud. You could not find a full set of the Talmud in this building. Could you imagine that? But it's even more said that nobody was complaining. It's not like the committee said, even though everybody wants a Talmud, we're not bringing it. 
Nobody asked for it and nobody wanted it. They just wanted to make sure you have cheese toast in the morning. That they were screaming about. Make sure the entomans is there and make sure the coffee is there. That we had a lot of people that were, that were picketing. Nobody cared about the books. And uh, the rabbi would give a class on Joe. Today, go upstairs to the Hebrew library if you ever get a chance. It's probably the biggest library in all of the shuls. Large, the biggest li- every book you can imagine in the Jewish library, maybe 10,000 books we have in the library over there. Now, what's the reason? There must be there's a demand for it. And now you go upstairs, there's scholars learning all day, long pouring over the books. What happened? Hashem did not abandon our community. Hashem brought back the Torah. It took time, but eventually the seeds of Torah were planted and it came back. And that's what it says over here, that Torah will always come back to a community. And the God says, even though in the dark periods, you prepared for them Maor Bashamish. You prepared for them Torah. They'll always be learning. Now, why is that so? So I heard once from uh, Chief Rabbi, former Chief Rabbi of Israel, uh, Rabbi Lau, Rabbi Lau uh, Senior. And he said, I think from his father, Rabbi Frankel, I love a shalom. I want to conclude with this. He said something so beautiful. He said, why is it that the Torah has always traveled with the Jewish people? No matter where we have uh, uh, passed in exile, we always go with the Torah. Like I said, even in our community, we're in America, Torah's with us. There was never a generation of Jews that was devoid of Torah. It's un- un- uninterrupted from Sinai till today. The Torah was always with the people. Eretz Israel, however, did not have that same uh, fortune. For most of our existence, we did not have the land of Israel. For most of our existence, we have been banished from Israel. I mean, just take, take Israel now. We didn't get access to it until 50, 60 years ago, 1948. But for 2,000 years prior, we didn't have access to it. The majority of our existence as a nation, Eretz Israel was banished from us. So Rabbi Frankel asked, why does the Torah have a better record with the Jews than the land of Israel? Why aren't we so lucky to have Israel as much as we're able to have Torah? Now, I'm sure there's a few answers to this question. One answer to the question I think is obvious. You can't have a nation without Torah. You can have a nation without, without the land. I said something big just now. And some of you say, what is he talking about? When we receive the Torah, where do we receive it? In Israel or outside of Israel? We received it at Har Sinai. Torah was given outside of Israel. To come and teach us that while the land is important, but to become a people and a cohesive nation, the Torah makes us a people. Not the land. Torah is the mitzvot. The land is an important part of it. But that does not, and the proof of the pudding is here. Are we not Jews in America? Are we not Jews here? And Jews throughout the generations did not have access to Eretz Israel, and they still were good Jews. That's an important point to remember. 
I don't know if you can understand what I'm going to say now. Therefore, I hesitate to say these, uh, these ideas at the uh, expense that somebody's going to misunderstand it. But then again, I say, why should I withhold telling you what I believe are, are, are truths? When it comes to teaching our children, we must teach them love of Torah and observance of Torah. There are those that emphasize not love of Torah, but love of land. Love of land will not make your children religious. It'll make them patriots. It'll make them, and, and that's probably done by design to keep the, keep everybody not so religious, but to pick something in Judaism that will connect them. So they make an overemphasis of the land. And the, I'm not against the land. I learned in the land. I love the land. We love it. We pray for it every day and we should live there. We all agree to that. But when we teach the children an overemphasis of land and not Torah, yes, Torah, but if it's just the land itself, Sing that tikva and wave the flag, very important, but that will not make anybody religious. It will not. That doesn't, that doesn't make kids religious. What makes them religious? Open a book. Open a book, like we're doing over here, and read. That's why Bori Olam said, Torah can never leave the people. Because if Torah leaves the people, there goes the people. The land, it's integral. But it's not, it's not life. Torah is called Etz Hayim. Torah is called the tree of life. Again, but if, if you're interested in just giving a, uh, a version of Judaism that will not inspire or make anybody religious, then it's a good way to, you pick something where it sounds like you're very Jewish. Israel, Israel, make a big fuss of Israel. And nobody, nobody, nobody will put on tefillin because of that. Nobody's going to become modest because of that. Nobody's going to eat more kosher because of that. They'll just say, us, well, the land, we love the land, and the land, and talk about the land, and pray for the soldiers like I do every day. Well, that's good. But it's got to be followed through Torah. You can't, you can't divest Torah from, from Eris Israel and make it as if Eris Israel is a religion in itself. It is not. It's Torah, that's what it is. And it is part of that Torah. But to separate Israel from Torah and make it its own uh, item in itself. And, and don't get me wrong, turn around, and this is my synagogue. Now we have an Israeli flag, I think, on one of the sides over here. Probably on that side, that's the right side. The Amer <laughs> so you, we have, there's, there's people that know everything. When we had the synagogue, when we rebuilt it, we had put the American flag on the other side, somebody came in with a, a statute. I got a statute from him. He went online or he knows it from his, uh, his grandfather. The American law is that the flag must always be to the right of the speaker. Okay. And therefore, you're in contempt of the 182B. Do me a favor, I'm not in contempt of anything. The, the Abbot put it there. We don't anything. Move the flag. I can't. It's not the United Nations over here. Put the flag wherever you want. Take the flag out. Well, I can't. Guy was all upset. He put the flag in the room. 
as if I did this as a uh, intentional, you know, disrespect to the country. Yeah, put the flag wherever you want. You want to wrap yourself around the flag also. Anyway, but the point is, it's, it's no disrespect to the, to, 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 to the land. Here we have the flag. We have the cover. But you shouldn't have the priorities. The priorities are... That's what Rabbi Frankel said something beautiful with Madonna. He said the following. He said it all has to do with the way we accepted the Torah and the way we accepted the land of Israel. When God came to give us a Torah, what was our reaction? He said, We don't even got to read the book. We're in. The Torah never forgot that reaction. On that day, the Torah said, I'll never leave these people. When God came along and said, We're going to get the land of Israel, would we say, We got to send spies. We don't know what's... And the land never recovered from that. The land is very sensitive. We didn't say, When it came to the land of Israel. Then we said, let's see. Then we came back and would we say, It's not a good land. The land says, this is what you have to say about me. So it's, it's hesitant. It doesn't have the same affection that the Torah had. Not because it doesn't, because we didn't show the affection at the time. And that's what we have to make, obviously, uh, the tikkun. And that's uh, uh, the tikkun that we make today. When we, when we go to Eris Israel and we visit it and we spend time, there, we're showing Eris Israel, even as Jews in exile, we love it, we support and so on and so forth, in order that the land will be appeased. That the land will not be angry, and ultimately it'll be. And it seems the land is getting appeased because now, Baruch Hashem, we have access. Now we're able, we're able to go. But the point is, Lecha Yom, it's true, God was with us in the good times. Lecha and He was with us also in the difficult times. But one thing is for sure, you always prepared for us, Maor Bashamish. Okay, we'll stop over here.